0: beautiful humans and welcome back to connection matters podcast this is episode six how are you today i hope you're well i'm really well i've had a lovely nourishing weekend with socially distanced meetups with friends in the woods and i've also slept out under the stars which is always so good so good so good with my kids as well which they just love so yeah, I'm really pleased to have been able to do that and that's really grounded me, ready for the week ahead. Today I'm bringing you the episode with Dan puppet Dan puppet is a naturalist, conservationist and nature educator and lifelong biophile, as it says in his bio. Biophilia is the term that was used according to the theory of the biologist E. Eat- Wilson, I think that's Edward Wilson, speaks of an innate and genetically determined affinity of human beings with the natural world. So this is a lot of what we're talking about, but particularly with Dan because he has so much experience, so much wisdom across the nature connection field. He's a certified tracker and teaches a range of naturalist skills, including wildlife tracking, bird language, botany and nature connection. He also mentors people of all ages, from forest school kids to professional ecologists. He's a Kamana Naturalist Training Programme Instructor, which is a programme that I've wanted to do for so long, uh, an online Nature Connection programme, which I think takes quite a long time, but it gives you all the tools and resources that you need to really deepen your Nature Connection journey. And he's also an Associate Tutor for the Field Studies Council, which if you don't know them, they run so many interesting courses all up and down the UK. And I think they have online resources as well. And he's also worked for the rewilding charity Trees for Life for over a decade and continues his involvement with this project. And uh, yeah, that's another project which I knew about and have really wanted to know more about and yeah i didn't know until we spoke that dan was involved with trees for life i really love their mission and aims which is reforesting and rewilding areas of scotland so yeah i think the interview speaks for itself dan really knows his stuff he's really well respected in his field and i was excited to to bring him to talk more about uh, nature connection and tracking in this episode but there's definitely scope for for delving deeper with Dan in the future if you like the podcast then please do support us by subscribing that means that you'll get all of the episodes into your inbox and also if you are in a position to be able to support us financially in any way For as little as £3 a month, you get most of the content that we offer on our Patreon account, which is a way that people can support independent artists, musicians and podcasters, amongst other things, to provide what they do without having to resort to sponsorship. Yeah, it'd be really good if you could have a look at our site there. That's patreon.com forward slash connection matters podcast. Also, it really helps us if you can leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That means that we get higher up the ratings and people are more likely to come across the podcast and get this amazing content. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoy this episode. All of the links will be in the show notes. And I look forward to hear your comments and feedback in our Instagram leona.connection.matters or facebook or patreon this is dan puplett hello dan puplett and welcome to connection matters podcast Um, i'm really really pleased to have you here i've been trying to make contact with you for the last couple of years i think get you down to where we live to run a workshop which we've not quite managed yet but i'm sure we will after lockdown But I'm really pleased to have you, and uh, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Leona, and thanks for the invitation. really appreciate it. Excited to have a conversation with you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I think the reason that we uh, initially heard about you and uh, became interested in the work that you do is through a friend, Laura McNally, who knew of you because of the amazing work that you do with the Kamana programme. And as I looked more, I thought, "Wow, yeah, I'm really keen to really skill up in the areas that of all of the things that you do." I wonder if uh, you'd be willing to share a little bit about what it is that you do.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, yes, I'm self-employed basically, and I work as a mentor and trainer in naturalist skills. That's kind of one of the really kind of foundation of a lot of what I do, and as a nature connection mentor as well. So within that covers a few different things. One of my big passions is around tracking wildlife tracking and getting into real depth really and discovering and learning more about the different signs that animals leave behind and interpreting them and then also what that can teach us about the wildlife in our area and our wider landscape. So that's one of the things wildlife tracking and I also do a lot on bird language as well which i imagine at least some of the people listening to the podcast will be aware of bird language which i also teach you know bird song identification but bird language is a i think of it almost like an audio aspect of tracking and it's where this kind of art of interpreting the songs calls and the behavior of birds and really kind of discovering what that can tell us about what's going on in the wider landscape whether that's if there's a sparrowhawk coming or a a fox or all these different things so bird language is really I just find it endlessly fascinating so that's one of the um one of the naturalist skills I teach I guess and do quite a bit on foraging on um various things like general natural history like tree identification and botany and a whole range of things even some stargazing workshops i just i guess since i've been really young been just fascinated by the natural world so all these different aspects really fire me up but particularly the tracking and the bird language are two big um, mm. big things for me i suppose yeah yeah and then yeah also. Um, oh go on, carry on. very
2: good
1: i was going to say so i do a lot of the stuff with adults and at times i do freelance stuff for kind of teenage groups and work as a forest school leader as well and do things with groups, um program called Branching Out, which is upper in Scotland, which um does basically supports people with mental health problems by taking them for a series of 12, like over 12 weeks, a series of um sessions out in the woods doing bushcraft activities and stuff like that. And so so things like that, do some bushcraft constructing. So a, kind of a range of different things I really like to kind of get in, involved in various different things. And like I say, the core part of it is around wildlife and tracking.
0: Well, mm-hmm. oh, that sounds amazing. I love the sound of the mental health program. You know, that's, yeah. I feel nature connection and well, obviously just spending time in nature, but learning these deeper skills of tracking and the signs and, and everything that's around you is, is just such a good way of becoming present and finding relaxation, finding connection to yourself and the world around you. And yeah. so much evidence isn't there to say that it's really good for mental health definitely yeah yeah that's
1: really it's great actually to see how much that's that evidence is coming into the mainstream now and it's really recognized and and it's really good to see with most people who come on those programs the response even after a few weeks um in terms of and the stuff they report about improvements in their own mental health and stuff so it's great and it, all these different kind of activities in like you say things like tracking or and listening to birds all in their own way help us to really become more present in the landscape and that in itself can be so um so beneficial and doing various things like again i'm sure a fair few listeners will be um aware of a practice called the sit spot which is you need like choosing a place just to to go and sit quietly in nature and really pay attention to what's going on it's a very simple practice as it were and a really powerful one too and it's um and that as well is is something that people really um, kind of often naturally really get into when we do these programs, just even if it's five minutes, just sitting quietly and paying attention and journaling or whatever, and um, has some really great
0: benefits. Mm. Yeah, I can't, I can't uh, agree with you more about that. I, um, I usually start with gratitude. So I'm going to share with you something that I'm grateful for right now. And it's really relating to the sit spot yesterday morning, I, was really struggling actually. I just had a bit of a, uh, you know, too many, too many children in the house, three children. And I haven't had as so much space, space as I would normally have. And, you know, having a few tit for tat arguments between them. And I just felt, ah, oh, I just really need some space. And uh, once we eventually got everyone together, we, we split off into two groups. The two, the two boys went off on a bike ride and then me and my daughter went off into the woods and, As soon as we got there we sat still and they know the practice of the sit spot even though my daughter's only six and we just sat there for a good 20 minutes before we did anything else before we did any adventuring or or going off to to find wood or set a fire or anything we just literally sat and lay and i um i have a lovely flat backed rock that i can lean against and look up at the trees and this time of year the the new leaves are so, you know, that pale green, that real beautiful light yeah. that comes through. from yeah. was a beech tree that was above me, but there's a lot of oak and um, birch in the woods as well. And um it was absolute bliss. And within minutes, within minutes, even walking into the wood, I could just feel my nervous system relaxing and just dropping dropping all the tension and the stress and the anxiety that i'd been feeling and felt myself again and it's just profound like it doesn't matter how many times i do it i forget it and then every time i go back i remember and go why wasn't i here all weekend you know (laughs) that's
1: such a common thing isn't it
0: yeah yeah it's amazing So, yeah, I'm really grateful to live uh, somewhere where I can do that because we we have, um, it's quite a densely populated valley that I'm in, in the Calder Valley, but there are lots of little secret wooded, high-sided valleys and river Mm -hmm. river valleys that we can wander amongst to get our daily exercise, and uh, I'm really loving that right now. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you'd like to share some gratitude Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel um, very very grateful that I can also have access to nature where I live. I can step out my back door and being, being really just fantastic surroundings with um, so much around. And May in particular is a month that I really love. It's hard to pick a favourite month but May is definitely up there. And even the very simple things like just seeing like daisies out there on the grass or... And um, there's a couple of bullfinches that are coming to my feeder at the moment, just below the feeder, and really simple things that actually just I don't know, add to my own sense of happiness and well-being so much that I just really regularly feel grateful for those those kind of simple encounters with mm. nature. Yeah. yeah,
0: thanks for sharing that. And oh, we've got a, a bullfinch that visits our garden. There, I've only got a tiny garden, but I've got an apple tree, and uh, I don't think I've seen a bullfinch before this year in this garden so it was really exciting to 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 see
1: yeah they're just stunning birds aren't they they're really really spectacular
0: yeah, yeah. super yeah. lovely so i'm wondering how you got into all this have you always lived in wild settings and out in in you know in nature or
1: no no it's, um, it's a good question are you yeah, funny enough, I was born in London. So I was born in the East End of London, so technically a Cockney, but moved away when I was um, really. So I remember my earliest memories of living in North London. So I remember being being a kid, and even on, I don't know. I even remember very early on, like being in a pushchair. I, was, I joke with people saying this is one of my earliest tracking memories of being in a pushchair, and I remember seeing back in this is like in the in the late seventies. Um, there used to be a lot more dog poo on the streets than there are now, than there is now, and. Um, I remember quite a bit of it used to be white as well. And I used to see this as a kid. I was probably three years old to see this. And I just thought, I don't know where the thought came from, but I was convinced there was a man He was like the dog poo painting man who would just go and paint the dog poo white. So that was one of my earliest tracking things. I learned later on that that wasn't actually quite accurate. Yeah. But I was three, I was trying. Anyway, so I, I was, um, yeah, till I was four um in kind of north london and then um, i was very lucky to move to borneo for a year and um, when i was a kid and um, my stepdad's from borneo so we we went out there for a year and that was we spent a lot of time just going kind of a bit feral and playing on the beach and stuff and having encounters with spiders and snakes and it was super exciting and um yeah i loved that as a kid and i always felt i think even before that i just had like like so many children do this kind of natural pull towards nature and towards animals and plants and stuff and then it really when I came back I lived with my grandparents in Cornwall for a bit and it started to really blossom and my grandma was super into birds and so I had influences around me that I think really supported that as well I'm super grateful for that to various relatives I'm very lucky to live in an environment where different relatives saw from an early age that you know, I remember when I was at six and at the book club at school, you could choose what book you ordered. And I saw this book on butterflies. I was like,
2: yes, I want mm. that book.
1: And so it just seems to kind of emerge. And I see that happen with a lot of people. I think pretty much everyone has that natural, what's often called biophilia, yes. isn't it? I love that term, biophilia. Yes. There's E.O. Wilson who coined that one. And I think we have that in, in, I think it's a lot of people, it can get buried, but I was lucky that that, that kind of flame was found. So basically so from a young age always been just super fascinated by wildlife and um looking out for birds animals all sorts and then during <clears throat> during my teens i suppose and um at various points during my teens i got involved in conservation volunteering a bit of activism as well and it just kind of went from there and so i just always felt kind of pulled towards being involved in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in nature eventually went on to kind of study this this kind of thing and eventually kind of get initially um start working in conservation my background is very much in conservation so i worked for a conservation charity called trees for life for quite a long Mm -hmm. time and that's what brought me up to the north of scotland where i am now and and i still do some work with them time to time they're a fantastic Mm -hmm. project um yeah and then about 10 years ago or so i've been doing a lot of this stuff anyway like these kind of skills like tracking in that for quite a long time before that but decided I really wanted to get it out there in the world and just you know do that full time and so
0: yeah Mm.
2: that's
1: that's kind of a very very short kind of a compressed answer there's there's a lot more in
0: it I love what you said there about various adults bringing it out in you because that's so important isn't it I I really believe that we all we are nature aren't we we're born and we have all of that innate draw that's come from that the entire length of the the human existence we've been fully immersed in nature and dependent on the world around us to survive and it's only in the last even 50 100 years that we've become so um, separate from that which sustains us you know the food and the the wood for the heat and the light and all of that you know since we've had electricity really and it's really separated us but but it's there in us and it, you know, our our yeah. DNA doesn't change that quickly, does it? So there's there's it's exactly. definitely yeah. there yeah. And, and then to have adults who really care enough to bring that out and support that in in children is so important. Yeah, it's so
1: so key. And I I like I say, I'm really grateful for that and I'm really aware that not all kids so many kids don't get that, or oftentimes even adults maybe are just not sure how to do that or aren't aware to do that I think with each generation is becoming more and more disconnected which is a obviously really problematic thing but I also on the flip side think it's encouraging to see um a big shift as well you know like we're saying about an awareness of not only the benefits of nature for mental health but also the the benefits of nature for child development and things like that and the the boom in forest schools and all these things I think are really encouraging signs as well and just thinking back to those experiences where i had various adults in my life who really encouraged me it just reminds me of how um how key those moments can be and again i, th- I, I feel lucky that i can remember There must have been maybe two or maybe three being shown my first buttercup for example mm-hmm. and i can kind of still remember it as i saw it back then and that memory of it is kind of like this huge, if you imagine a vast bowl with that, you know, really fantastic, glossy yellow inside and being told like, oh, I must like butter and all of that. And, all, and it was just this moment of sheer magic as a this kind of childlike wonder. And all it took is someone to show me this buttercup and like wave it under mm-hmm. my chin. It blew me away. Went, and maybe a year or so later, I showed my first acorn as well and that, the way the cap, you know, that neat cap fits over the acorn mm-hmm. itself. And again, I was just kind of like almost jaw dropping, just blown away by this amazing thing. And if just someone exposed me to it and mm-hmm. showed me it. So I think it doesn't take, yeah, it doesn't take much. It just takes someone to be really present. Well, mm-hmm. it, it can take all sorts of things, but that's one of the things is, is someone, an adult, or someone being really present and just taking the time to expose us mm-hmm. to, as kids to these and natural settings Mm -hmm. and i think nature does a lot of the work Mm. as well
0: yeah and sharing that childlike joy that we all feel whenever we see that kind of beauty i think sometimes we can squash it out of ourselves don't we by not paying attention and forgetting that the things that we see as everyday things are actually miracles and wondrous amazing feats of design by whatever created the world around us just incredible incredible, isn't it? And,
1: I, and i think that thing of like um taking it's easy to take things for granted i think that's so easy and and also i think and i notice as well in um say in the realm of environmental education there's so much that i think is really valuable this is something of Bit of a maybe digression in a way, but something that I love about the kamana naturalist training program. Which, if people aren't aware of it, this is a program that was was written by John Young, who's a real nature connection pioneer. And kamana is spelled K-A-M-A-N-A, and it's basically a a distance learning naturalist training program. And so you basically learn at your own kind of pace in your own place, and it involves a lot of sit spot time. To go through the whole program can take years and years, and it's fantastic. So I did the program and now for quite a while, I've been a mentor for the for the program. And what, what really drew me to it is it has these different elements. So there's lots of it as other kind of the classical natural history skills of learning the plants in your area, learning the birds, um, trees and all these, like as much as possible, becoming very fluent, like almost like ecologically literate in what's going on around. And so that's one aspect. And it's not just that. I think... If we focus only on that, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's really important. But if we focus only on that, sometimes there can be a, a kind of disconnection from that childlike wonder as well, from just, for example, seeing a a daisy or a oak tree or a whatever, and just really, really looking closely mm. without necessarily getting caught up in all the facts mm-hmm. and stuff. But having said that, I really think as well, all the all the facts and the knowledge are valuable and have their place. And I, what I think is great is being able to kind of operate in different modes so we have the information available to us when we need it and that's super essential for practical purposes like our ancestors would have had those known medicinal properties of plants or particular habits of different kinds of birds and what that means and all of that stuff is really useful and then also having this ability just to look more deeply without that filter of and um, the kind of names and labels and stuff so cultivating both of these I think is really important and that's one of the things that programs like Kamana helps us
0: to do. That's this. brilliant that you've brought that in because I was going to ask you you're someone who's got that unique lens of you know the conservation environmental education outdoor education side of things but you've also done the art of mentoring and the Kamana program and wilderness awareness school is that right?
1: Yeah, so World awareness called that um that's what they basically run the Kamana program something. Yeah, so, the, okay. yeah, so I
0: yeah. help them out. And that, that I know because I've not done the Kamana um program, but I have done the art of mentoring and have worked with the Eight Shields and that level of thinking about connection as a as a it's a completely different thing really to the environmental and nature education. It's it values the nature education as you say the names and the labels that we put to things but it it sees itself as a different thing and uh, and that's yeah. something that's quite new really isn't it to our culture here thinking about the culture of nature yeah. connection and and all of the benefits that can come and that are really needed
1: definitely yeah and i think it's yeah i think that's really important and in kind of in no way to negate people who are doing like pure nature education or anything like that because like i say it's super important and something that i've observed and i think it's well known now is that we can have all the information we want we have you know our fingertips we've got so much information about the natural world and about all sorts of things and it doesn't necessarily change behavior most of the time it doesn't change behavior sometimes it does but oftentimes we can continue acting in certain ways even if we have the information and we really need to have some level of connection as well um, and john i remember him years ago saying something which really to me summed it up he said um, if you create the connection the information will come along for the ride
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i really love that like because he, he was saying that people might be worried hold on a minute we've got to, you know surely there's a place to educate people or whatever and he was saying this is definitely really the case and as soon as you create that if someone has this kind of starts to develop a relationship i've seen this with kids you know like or even my one of my nephews is nuts about foxes and just because he's got such a passion for foxes now he's just learning or I've, I've got a different another a niece from a different sibling and she's since she was really young she's really um just loved sharks and i'm a big shark fan myself as well and then she just started finding out and telling me cool stuff about sharks that I didn't know, you know, but she wasn't she wasn't having to be forced to learn about sharks. She just was like, wow, sharks are amazing and wanted to learn about them. And that's, that's how I found for myself as well, you know, over the years, accumulated, I don't know, like a bit of knowledge about different stuff here and there, and that's off the back of really of just being super interested. And we all, you know, we all do that, we tend to kind of, I don't know, discover more about or pay attention to the things that we really feel connected to.
0: Mm-hmm. Passions yeah. and edges, isn't it? I I I, I love oh, yeah. that what the way um in the Eight Shields which is a map for thinking about how we create life and events and connections um for people at home who might not know of the Eight Shields. And the Eight Shields is uh, is the institute that the art of mentoring has come out of and um, we've worked with the eight shields for quite a few years working with uh, our long-term program for home educated children and the way that we assess the children um, if that's the right word the way that we monitor how what we're doing and what and how well you know, how we can improve what we're doing is that we look at what their passions and what their edges are and we oh. um, we look at where where they get feel really alive you know where is it that they're getting really enthusiastic and engaged and how can we support that more and then where is there where are their edges so there might be a child who never who will never climb a tree or they will never um they'll always let everybody else light the fires and they won't do that mm-hmm. thing so and whenever you can see those two those two sides you can really support a child's learning not by forcing them to have to be the one that always lights the fire but when you notice something that you can then see where where there's what the struggle might be or what it is and, and unpick that a little bit um which is what good mentoring should be about is is not ever forcing or you know creating circumstances where we need to remember and remember and and go over things but what is it that um we need to know in order to overcome any blockages and and there yeah yeah i love it in
2: that way yeah definitely yeah and i
1: think it really works as well just from what i've seen over because the first the art of mentoring first came to the uk actually 10 almost exactly 10 years ago and um, quite a few of my friends involved in the kind of after of mentoring eight shield circles um i 'm sure like yourself you know like mentoring their kids in that in that way and now i now I see and know some some of the kids who are now in their teens who have been you know brought through this method of mentoring and it 's really impressive to see what a lot of them um what, what they 're able to do you know, really really competent i know you know kids who can light a fire say with a bow drill or know a ton of different wild foods that you can eat or you know got some really good tracking skills and um and on top of that really you know there's something about it about this connection brings brings out a lot of really good kind of communication skills makes them kind of often like really just respectful and um confident and all sorts it seems i look at this and i think something's really working here you know it's a really effective effective way of like this mentoring people in nature and like you say just like really skillfully looking at people's passions looking at their edges and then being able Mm -hmm. to to help kind of grow and develop Mm -hmm. through that so yeah so it's even within a short time it's been exciting to see like how these particular Mm -hmm. kind of methodologies so to speak really actually work and i'm very like i'm very much um um in you know, in a lot of ways I just like seeing stuff. I like seeing the proof of stuff, you know, like does this work, doesn't it work? I look at this and I
2: think, yeah, that works, that is effective and
0: yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely yeah. agree. I think the there's something about, you know, because uh, I often think sometimes, am I am I barking up the wrong tree going on about nature connection so much? Is it really, you know, plenty of people live in cities and get on with their lives and are happy enough and um it's maybe I'm in a bubble, a niche that thinks that the, what I'm doing is so important. But actually, you know, we see the world today and the world is, isn't is so healthy and culture isn't so healthy. And the way that a lot of people are living isn't so healthy. And and I, I grew up in that and had that same sense of... Uh, not being so healthy at a point in my life you know my when i was younger i was craving connection and i was craving meaning and belonging to a land and i really didn't know what that meant and i didn't have the words to to describe that but i did okay. have a sense that there's got to be more to life and it was when i got into all the different things that i looked into around uh, alternative living about uh growing naturally about permaculture and then as and then found my way into the nature connection world which which really just blew me away and was and was the was what i felt so strongly was what a lot of people could will really benefit from and and actually we can't really thrive without it and i feel you know what you're describing with the older, the young people who've grown up in a nature connected community, uh, with mentors around them, and who've been, who've had their passions and edges supported throughout, um, is so true. And I've seen it as well, where where the, it's got to be something about when you're connected with nature and you understand what your the the land around you. You've done lots of wandering, and you've 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 learned about the plants and what plants are edible or you know the tracks around you or you you understand uh the cycles and the seasons and you're really uh, in touch with that you know you have a real sense of being nature which i think not everybody um it's not what our education system teaches us is it and there, and and when well, you get that sense of being in nature you're part of nature and you understand the land around you you belong here and there's a sense of belonging and and meaning that comes from that real st- strong connection and i love that
1: yeah 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 me too yeah. and i think it's there's going back to saying before about biophilia that's a big, i mean something that really um, I feel it a lot in me, and I see it a lot in people around me. And I think, even there's a lot of people who may be, you know, say, living in a very urban environment and apparently not particularly interested in nature or whatever. But even then, I'm sure, and I've seen it where it's just below the surface, you know, it's just there. And even things like, say, the popularity of David, At- David Attenborough documentaries and things like that, um, to me, that somehow points to that you know, that people are just fascinated and really interested in finding out about the natural world, even though it expresses itself in um, in various ways. And mm-hmm. And I see this from working with, you know, young kids, and I do quite a bit of the work I do, um, say, with tracking and things like that, is training people who are professional ecologists. So, so you know, people who are really, they're really kind of skillful at what, at what they do and often coming from more of a kind of an academic approach to it. And, um, at the same time with this still without without fail you know just having a bit of a conversation see that these people often have been kind of nuts about nature since they were kids and they still are just really fascinated by the simplest things get excited about all sorts of things in the natural world you know it's um, across the board I think um, that yeah that connection is there the other thing as well around you're saying that we are nature and I think that's a really important insight to keep coming back to and um and particularly at the moment you know in times when people are um either like self-isolating or at home a lot or whatever and not necessarily having all the opportunities that they might like to to connect um i think there's things i like to remind myself anyway of different i'm lucky to live in in the rural area but say i'm in a in a city or whatever i like to look around and just think of the um, the ways in which you know different all different objects around us are actually all derived from nature like everything and there's something about that of like this kind of tracking exercise of looking at um say for example if we look at a load of con- like a concrete landscape and concrete um usually has limestone in it which is you know it's like the the skeletons of sea creatures millions of years ago in ancient oceans just thinking of that it's like actually this is all Part of nature, or looking at plastics, and even though plastics obviously can be problematic, most of them will be made from oil, which again is made of actually dead plants and animals. Mm. And just thinking, all of this, you know, we're absolutely immersed in it, or our own bodies, you know, we've got ridiculous amounts of um, microorganisms um, more than we have human cells, even. And so we're kind of like a walking ecosystem. And so we can't get away from it, really. Even And the, the thought that we're something other than nature is actually just that, it's just the thoughts. And there's something about kind of looking more closely. And this isn't even any, some people might say, oh, that sounds a bit kind of like, I don't know, a bit of a romantic motion or anything like that. It's not, it's just a fact. So you just have to look at it. It's just like, wow, this is actually, as soon as we look at what's going mm-hmm. on, it's absolutely astonishing. Or even taking a step further back, you know, we, um, we get into nothing that we can look at that wasn't kind of exploded out of a star at some point in the distant past and that is just a mind-blowing mm-hmm. thing we could think about it oftentimes we're too busy to really just stop and just reflect on mm-hmm. that but that itself is quite incredible so, so even just i like that just kind of like these different musings mm-hmm. which can help in a way just take us back to like what's really going on here actually we are just we are literally just a part mm-hmm. of nature and,
0: yeah. yeah i love that i um I did um, a nature quest recently, um, which is where I slept out on my own for 24 hours and sat in a beautiful spot in uh, in a woods near where I live. And, uh, and there was this moment of just uh, total, it's hard to describe, like awareness that grew in me when I saw these buzzards, I heard them first high-pitched call coming and I thought oh here they come and this pair of buzzards flew over and circled around and around where I was and and I just had that thought of you know they were somewhere else for the last 14 hours I've been here and they've been somewhere else and something made them decide to come here at this point I I also saw a deer um within the same 10 or 15 minutes apart of these buzzards and had that same sense of that deer is just living its life you know what i do has no consequence and it makes a decision moment by moment where it's going to go i'm going to stop here and scrape away the ground and i'm going to sit down and have a rest for an hour or so which is what it did whenever i saw it and yeah. and then um <clears throat> and then these buzzards came and i just thought the life is going on all around us and it has nothing yeah. to do with anything that we do i'm obviously a lot of wildlife has been driven away from its natural habitat and that's problematic but aside from that wherever we are there's always there's always life happening it might be fast life like other animals or it might be slow life like the rock faces that slowly and gradually get worn away and weathered over time and have been there for millions of years but it's all happening isn't it and i i don't even know if i'm describing it very well but it was just a really fully like oh God, of
2: course. And it, it's all going yeah,
0: on. Yeah. I, I, and I
1: like I really like that idea of things having well not even an idea, it's just again what happens. They like you say, they have their independent lives. And I find this really interesting in, in tracking, for example. I think it's that takes us a step further when we're out tracking because there's an you know, different kind of branches of tracking, um, including, you know, like track and sign identification or aging the tracks and things like that. And And I think it's really important just remembering if we see a track, you know, we can get into the details of, like, all the features of the footprint and stuff. Really, I find this super interesting, you know, like, working out who's been passed and all of that and then actually remembering that right now there's a living and most likely alive, it's not guaranteed, but most likely alive somewhere in the landscape and just that thought of, like, well, where is it now? Where like what's it up to and all of these questions come and that also helps build a, a stronger sense of connection with the wildlife around us so it's not just oh that's a badger track but wait like who is this particular badger like what is it up to right now what are its habits i was just um just the other night like early hours of the morning i saw a badger right out by my bird feeder just just out the window here and um and there's there's quite a few badger sets in my area but there's a particular hole not that far away and i'm just at the moment just wondering i wonder if that's the same badger that's coming regularly so that's the kind of a live question i've got at the moment and just recognizing that animals do have in you know like individual um personalities really you know they'll behave an individual animal will behave differently from another badger you know one will be shyer and one will be bolder and they'll have particular habits same with birds as well Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: they'll have their own kind of unique quirks and habits and doing like about their business doing their own thing and i just find that really Really fascinating and really important to remember. It's not just like, oh, it's a blackbird. It's like, oh, it's that particular blackbird, mm. and um, and it's and that particular blackbird has um, an awareness of this particular area that, in a way that I completely don't know. You know, mm. so
2: lots of lots mm. going on basically.
0: Mm. So yeah. I was going to ask you about tracking. <laughs> You know, I've done a lot of uh, bushcraft skills and a lot of building up my nature awareness over the years and, and uh, various connection, but connection side. But my tracking knowledge is very basic. But I also know that when having been with people who are really great trackers, how it's like a superpower, isn't it? It's like you can see things that aren't there and you can um, understand the world around you, which I think probably. 'll give you even more of a sense of that feeling that I got a few weeks ago when I was on my nature quest that that sense of integration with the world because you can see and feel and hear and smell and notice the things around you in a way that we 're not really accustomed to doing anymore as humans, so my question around that is because it's so, it's so niche <laughs> and yet such an amazing skill. How is it relevant to this? day and age because we don't need to search for our food anymore we don't need to track in order to find you know in order to survive really do we so so what what's it about and,
1: and- yeah yeah that's a great question i think there's a lot of different levels to that and the first i think the kind of first level i'd approach it at is quite a practical one where a lot of the people i've been teaching and people might and for myself as well actually there is a even though like you say most people don't need to track for their food there are certain applications particularly in conservation where i find it really useful like a lot of ecologists will be looking for particular field signs of red squirrels or water bowls or and that is tracking basically we're looking for signs and coming to a conclusion about what's in that area and that's really beneficial for these fantastic species that i believe we have a responsibility to you know to take care of so some very kind of practical stuff in that sense and then but again in some ways that's still niche because there's a vast you know a vast majority of people would say aren't professional ecologists or whatever and um and from that perspective i'd say that there's still this thing we're saying before about just just nature connection and um helping or allowing people to get more acquainted with the world the wild world around us you know that's something that we've said we've lost um in a big way and i see that as a kind of almost like an ecological literacy even 50 years ago people were way more switched on to which birds are around and plants and all of that and now that's been lost so tracking it is a gateway a really effective gateway into that it partly because it's so appealing as well as this kind of like csi detective work aspect of it that appeals to so many of us i think that's probably an ancient part of our brains that really gets fired up by it so families or people with you know with kids or adults or whoever just kind of getting on the trail you know like trying to solve a mystery and then as a result of that coming to understand more about the wildlife around us which has got to be a good thing you know as soon as we're aware of something we're going to be much more motivated to protect it so there's that, that aspect as well it's just a powerful tool for nature connection and um, use it quite a bit in like an educational setting with kids so there's like we said before this kind of connection aspect and the educational side of it so it's a really fun way even if i kind of bring out my box of skulls and stuff mm-hmm. like that and i'll start asking a ton of questions you know just even tiny little kids you can ask show them a fox skull and ask oh what kind of what do you think it eats is it a meat eater or a plant eater now you know, they'll start thinking about it and answering questions and indirectly they're being given a lesson in you know kind of animal physiology and stuff like that. So there's an educational aspect too. And then um other other branches of it I suppose is the we, we touched upon before this um aspect almost like a almost a mindfulness aspect of just being out and paying close attention to what's going on around visually. We're tracking we're using as many of our senses as possible. So just that sense of being really immersed in a landscape, slowing down, paying close attention has so many benefits for us as well. So that's, uh, I think a, a big one. Yeah. It's kind of paying attention to all, all the, um, kind of nature connection benefits that come from it as well. And then there's an aspect as well. There's a whole kind of, um, I guess a thought process of tracking really kind of, it challenges us to be, and um, to see very clearly what's there. And it's actually a really hard thing to do, you know, as, um to see very clearly what's there and so then i don't know make like make deductions or draw conclusions from that but also do that in a very um clear way so what i mean by that is that it can be so easy to see something and think we're you know see a footprint and we want it to be a badger and it's just like oh and it's not very clear print at all and just kind of it, there's almost ways where we can kind of try and force it to be something and so we've got to be like, ruthlessly kind of self-honest with that and step back and say, like, there's various kind of deduction processes that we can use to make sure that we're seeing what we're seeing. So that's an aspect of it. It's just this kind of really cle- clearly seeing what's there and then also interpreting it after that and recognising there's a difference between what we're seeing and the interpretations we make about it. And that's just a powerful lesson in its own right because it applies to, you know, like... to tracking into tracking in a way that's really kind of rigorous and accurate but then if we apply that there's obvious applications in our daily lives you know even in a conversation someone might say something and they mean one thing and we hear it and through various filters we make it mean something else or we might see someone behaving in a particular way or say someone didn't respond to an email or whatever so that's the that's the data that's there in front of us but then we add on a whole load of other things like that person didn't email me because they're being super rude or whatever
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so that again it's like okay if we take it back like with that kind of tracker's mind let's look at the evidence what actually is there the person didn't reply to the email that's mm-hmm. all we know for sure and mm-hmm. then recognizing that anything else we put on top of that is an interpretation so it's um Yeah, not bringing it to sound all profound or whatever, but that's just an aspect of the the kind of mindset that we can cultivate through tracking. So that's something I love about it. There's so many different branches. And then taking it quickly back to the kind of natural history aspects as well. I think it's a real gateway into learning, All I think almost more than any other kind of branch of natural history I can think of. So it's a powerful gateway. So we can say, start looking at a footprint and before long if we ask enough questions we're going to have to learn more about the plants in the area about say trees start observing and remembering the weather patterns pay attention to the soil and geology start asking about where are the water courses and the food sources and all of these kind of things and get to know the insects a bit better all of these things can come just by getting into the process of tracking so it's a very like um yeah just by using this one kind of access point of tracking, we start to kind of open our minds and our senses to all sorts of other aspects of the natural world. So I think it's, um, yeah, really um, effective and an effective tool for nature awareness in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love that. I love that description. And I love, because I, one of the questions was, I was going to ask was how can being an excellent tracker translate into your life? But you, you shared that there about how we can, with that tracker's mindset, we're able to observe things and apply all of those elimination processes to our minds and the way we do things because we do that a lot don't we we make we infer things and we make interpretations in all of our interactions and the more that we're aware of that the more aware that we are and that are able to to really know ourselves and know what we're likely to be making meaning out of the more we're able to be in Actual connection and, and that can be with humans and tracking our life and the way that we do things. And it can be out on the land there with, with, um, all of our senses awake and alive yeah. alongside all the other, other than human beings. So yeah, it sounds so exciting. And it is definitely something that I really want to get more into. You know, I, I do, I, when I realized what a deer bed looked like, you know, <clears throat> it's like this thing that once you know it's there, you can't miss them. But yeah, before exactly. I knew that this little flattened—it can be tiny—little flattened area yeah. um, is a deer bed. I would have easily walked past them all the time. And then once I see them, and I see the around here that because there's a lot of steep-sided valleys, you know, the deer pick quite cool places to stop, you know, and and, and uh, they're quite yeah. often places that I enjoy sitting then. And then imagining yeah. what it feels like to be that deer sitting, looking out over this steep sided valley down down to the town um it's just yeah it it's amazing and that's like a a small piece of information that someone shared with me and obviously you you just go from there your mind your mind gets into it doesn't it it's it's just that thing of creating the story around it because that's what helps you search for the other the, the other signs the evidence what could what could this steer have been doing before and after and then you're looking for the evidence and also then peeling it back to what do you actually know and what's actually going on here
1: yeah and that's yeah that's really important and there's times you know we might we might create a particular theory or story about a bit of tracking evidence we see and we may well be right you know we may think okay we're on the right trail here and um and yeah so it's great we may be right and that's often after having gone through the process of like eliminating possibilities where we could have gone off you know off on a tangent and even when we're pretty sure okay this is pretty accurate always being open to that possibility okay we could be wrong you know unless you 100 percent see the animal right there there's always a slight chance okay could be wrong it's probably this and so having i guess tracking kind of breeds a certain degree of humility that nobody knows everything and we we don't always get it right and but we continually develop and hone those skills, so we get more and more accurate.
2: Mm. And
1: we, what you said about the deer bed was really nice as well. It just um, ties into the um, particular concept in in tracking, often referred to as larders and lacks. So, which you, you may have come across, you know, this idea that. Um, animals and humans as well really as as another species of animal, you know, we're pushed and pulled across the landscape by various forces, often involving like the need for safety and um food and reproduction and all these different things. And if we start, so for example, with a deer bed on a particular day, if it's kind of quite a um a cold, crisp but sunny winter's day, if you were to try to think, okay. I see, could we predict where the deer are most likely to be lying up at the moment we're probably going to be thinking about kind of south facing slopes with a good view with a bit of cover and you know so we start again that's an example of how tracking can tie us into the wider landscape and this landscape scale kind of perspective really and um and something i just remembered as well something you said about the tracking being kind of like a superpower in a mm-hmm. way and what you said that was a good example of when, you're, when you had the deer bed pointed out to you, then you just started seeing them mm-hmm. everywhere. And that's always the case, and it's endless as well. It, um, I think anyone, it doesn't matter how long someone's been out tracking, there's always stuff that we're not seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, we start we see more and more, but there's always going to be stuff that's outside of the range of even the most skillful tracker. And that's something exciting about it as well. It's just like, okay, I can see this now. What is it I'm not seeing? Mm-hmm. And that's why one of the things I find it exciting to go out with trackers who are more experienced than me and have things pointed out and just think, wow, I never saw that, and I wouldn't have seen that. But now yeah. my awareness has been stretched. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see that more in the future, just like you're describing, that kind of
2: mm-hmm. keeps
1: on going. And, and, and everyone has that ability. I think it's really hard. There's so many of these nature connection skills and naturalist skills which are really hardwired. Mm -hmm. into the ability to recognize patterns to detect subtle clues to make deductions and all of those things I think are really hardwired into us and it doesn't take much to kind of reawaken them
0: can we do it in the city
1: yes definitely yeah yeah um you mean tracking yeah yeah I've, I've had some um really fun tracking and bird language experiences in the in the city and even if it's like tracking rats or squirrels or all sorts there's just all there's always clues um around and in parks or even in kind of not in parks there's i remember being in um years ago i was actually out on a very lucky to be out in a, a wolf and lynx tracking survey in slovakia and then getting back to the city to Bratislava and just in we we're kind of in tracking mode and there's a bit of snow on the ground that down it's was like, oh there's a load of rat tracks and we're there on the pavement, people walking by getting excited about these rat tracks there or but all yeah, all sorts of stuff um we can find in the city, you know, there's foxes mm-hmm. and
2: mm-hmm.
1: um even badgers occasionally come into some cities and mm-hmm. um, loads of different things. In terms of bird language, I find that's also something that can be really that really applies everywhere so just to kind of recap you know this uh, this skill of like i say i think it's the audio aspect of tracking where we're paying attention to bird behavior like how they're moving and also to their calls and so beyond song recognition which i find super interesting but it's also there's tons of different kinds of bird call you know like contact calls and alarm calls and territorial calls and all these different things and when we really start paying attention we really get a better understanding of what's going on around and birds you know they have they're really kind of um, prevalent in a lot of our lives you know there's a lot of places you go where birds will be somewhere visible Mm. and they they obviously need to be really really aware of their environments Mm -hmm. for everything that they need all the stuff we discussed before so just by paying attention to them it doesn't take long before we can really notice you know it's oftentimes there'll be um, I have the back door open here if i 'm kind of working at my desk and hear the, these kind of alarm patterns that signal the sparrowhawk is going to come by or just not far away from here various points um have seen or have come across a tawny owl because the birds make a particular kind of call sequence and um again that just really um opens our can open our eyes and senses to the to the wild world and, and in a, in a city i've seen that quite a few times particularly it's brilliant watching pigeons they'll tell us so much city pigeons even though they won't necessarily make a big vocal alarm there's certain ways that we can see their their flight patterns changing and shifting and they'll often bunch up and some something about it's like reading body language something about their body language looks kind of agitated and stressed and there's been several times i've spotted a sparrowhawk soaring above or a perched peregrine falcon somewhere because of just paying attention to what the pigeons are doing and looking around and there's people walking by not necessarily aware that that's happened.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: there's probably a ton of times and I've missed it as well, but all of this stuff is going on if we really pay attention to it. So, yeah, so tracking and bird language, you can do both in the the city, in the countryside, all sorts of places.
0: Mm. So it's a lot about dropping into our senses, isn't it? In a way that I don't think I ever did very consciously for a long time really um really paying attention to the sensations in my body really listening to the the furthest away sounds and the closest sounds and tr- trying to hold that awareness of all the sounds at once and doing the same with you know with our, with our vision we spend so often looking at screens don't we or or other people but when we're doing that we're using a very narrow field of vision and moving into peripheral vision or our eyes or uh you know, there's many ways of calling it um mm. we get access to a whole lot more information don't we i wonder well, if um right now because a lot of people are not doing what they normally do some people are working way more than they would normally do and uh and lots of people have children at home and others are alone and 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 t- time is probably strange if it's anything like it, it is for me it seems stretched and and flying by all at the same time, but um, with the situation we're in, everything's different. How can we be using this time? What are the kind of things that we can do to to help us find connection?
1: Yeah, so there's, I think there's a few things. Um, well, there's a lot of things, and actually some of the things that really come to mind are the fact that for a lot of people who are spending more time at home than they would have done otherwise, there is the chance to get to know uh, what I like to call the wild neighbourhood. You know, we said before about all these different creatures doing their different things. And if we're out and about at work or whatever, we might be missing a lot of this stuff. And even if we do spend, you know, if if we do know our patch a bit anyway, there's always an opportunity to, to look more closely. So if you're lucky enough to have a garden and say a bird feeder, just paying attention to simple stuff like, which birds are the shyest and which are the boldest if they get disturbed from the feeder and which ones come back most quickly or looking at flight patterns. So there may be a, say there's a particular pigeon or a crow or whatever that's in your, that you see regularly. And then looking at where it flies to most regularly, looking at these kind of flight trails and then start asking questions, get really curious, ask questions like, wow, what, where does that crow actually you know where is it roosting where does it sleep has it got chicks at the moment has it you know is it a male or is it a female or just we can go endlessly into asking questions and getting curious about especially about individuals i think that's a great one i love you know like a bird watching anywhere and you know saying oh oh, fantastic there's a blackbird or whatever but like i said before getting to know that particular blackbird
2: Mm.
1: and starting to kind of starting to study its life and get more familiar with it so that's that's one thing I think that can be quite accessible even if you don't have a garden there's still birds that can often be seen and um, so we can pay attention to those and um, other things as well there's I think there's some quite I find like fun kind of games or activities that can be done pretty much anywhere like just looking for life signs of life wherever you are so if you're somewhere which is fairly rural it'll be super easy but if it's a really built-up environment it's more challenging and there's stuff like even looking at i can see some lichens on the rooftop there or i can see a bit of moss in the cracks or um whatever it might be but just really closely paying attention to Mm. the life that's that's around us Mm -hmm. and then if people are really you know like some people and this is i really i think quite a bit about people who are maybe like properly locked down so they can't actually get out of their house at the moment and maybe in a block of flats right in the middle of the city. And you know that's a pretty challenging situation. And um things like um even looking at weather patterns, which can be done if you've got access to a window and some sky, just like really paying attention to what's the wind direction doing today, looking at the clouds, um seeing if we can even predict what the weather's going to do the next day based on what it's doing. Mm. now all these different things which can be accessible from
0: from mm-hmm.
1: places you know
0: and tracking the sun yeah so yeah yeah one side of the house is always sunny in the morning and the other side of the house is always sunny in the evening and there's a yeah. chunk in the middle of the day where we've got a little bit on both sides but we're still in shadow a little bit as well and uh and it changes what we do it changes how we how we are and i think it's you know it's really interesting when you spend more time in one place you notice these things more don't you
1: yeah yeah definitely yeah and yeah all sorts of things paying attention to the the sun whatever else we can see i mean up where i am now in the, the north of scotland the nights now the well, evenings are so light that we're seeing stars less and less already but mm-hmm. if stars are visible paying attention to what the, if you can see any even in the city actually some constellations will stand out mm-hmm. um pretty clearly even if you don't see a whole load of them so paying attention to constellations. We can see um, in the northwest um, in the evenings, uh, roughly in the northwest here, and Venus is really visible. And so things like that. So just seeing just seeing what's around. And another one of these kind of reflections or musings that I like to do sometimes. So even if, if we might be somewhere that's pretty built up or whatever, thinking that actually we're on, on a planet that's going through the solar system, which is around... You know, it's centred around one star, which is one of billions in our our galaxy, which is one of billions of galaxies in the universe. So wherever we are, we're in this kind of, we're literally in a vast wilderness, even if it seems in the immediate kind of, in immediate circumstance, it seems pretty kind of built up. Um, We're actually, yeah, just in a vast wilderness. And it's kind of easy to say, you know, I have access to countryside on my doorstep. So it's easy to say, but if there isn't any other option, you know, if you are really in somewhere built up, I've found that myself, you know, being in a, times in the city, just reflecting on things like that, mm. or even, for example, just so if you're in the UK, just the fact that if you take a breath of air, most likely just based on our prevailing wind, most of the time that those air molecules probably were like hustling across the Atlantic not that long ago, mm-hmm. just to think about these, mm-hmm. this air kind of, again, this vast wilderness So it doesn't, I guess it's just like shifts in perspectives in certain ways can... Can help things like journaling is great as well, like these things I said about observing what's happening in your patch, so however you like to do that, whether it 's voice recording or making sketches or drawing, just making a few notes about um, the animals and the plants and stuff you're seeing, and over time it's interesting to see the different patterns that can emerge from that as well so, yeah.
0: Mm. yeah, that sounds great. And I love having my phone with me now to be able to take notes because uh, it feels much quicker and uh, accessible. Because we've got our moments, right,
2: don't yeah. we? Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, your um, your work is mostly outside, like mine, and obviously, situation is at the moment that we are not supposed to gather in groups and that, that kind of thing. What are you doing now, that at wise and or oh, what are you hoping to do for the rest of the year? Yeah. So,
1: um, yes, yeah, so it's one of these situations, especially for those of us who work, you know, work a lot in the outdoors. It's, I think presented a lot of us with some big challenges and um one of the things i've started to develop is a series of webinars uh on covering different aspects of the natural world so recently did a couple of foraging webinars and also an introduction to birdsong so and i've got other ones coming up but some tracking one and tree id and stuff like that and so that's a way which i hadn't really you know hadn't used that format before in a bit i've been involved in some webinar things before but not in a in a big way and and yeah i realized that's the way that um, can reach out to people who are in all different places you know so mm-hmm. i'm in the north of scotland and we had people in devon and cornwall someone from spain someone from ohio on these various things i thought wow this is in some ways kind of ironic that this technology can really connect us as well yeah so, yeah so yeah we're doing a bit of that and it's not definitely not the same as being out in the field with people and it's you know it's definitely. Something which hopefully is useful as well, and other stuff as well. So, there's some other kind of related things. So, designing some courses for different, there's an organization, the Field Studies Council, who I'm also a, an associate tutor for, I run some courses for them, and I'll be doing a, a tracking based thing for them online um coming up. And yeah, so various, various things like that, mm-hmm. so right? A lot of the, the behind the scenes stuff, and also getting out there. I've got a um a guide one of the Field Studies Councils Laminated Charts, which I wrote last year. It's the guide to bird British bird tracks and signs. Mm-hmm. So basically you know doing work, promoting that, trying to get out there. So there's things I can do from here. And then getting out tracking and just spending time out and about. Making and, the most of
0: it. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Great. So um if people like the sound of the work that you're doing, how do they get in touch with you or how do they um yeah learn about what you're doing?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I have a website. So my website's um, uk. So that's all, all one word. A few people can spell my name. It's P-U-P-L-E-T-T. Mm-hmm. There's an odd one. dot tcouk And now I've got an events list and a mailing list and um, all sorts of stuff on there. And I'm also on the usual social media, especially um, Facebook and Instagram. So I post different kind of quizzes and stuff like different kind of tracks and signs I found in the field and, Various things on there so there's there's different ways if you want to find out more um there are a couple of ways and if you want to get in touch if you have questions just through my website there's a contact mm-hmm. form as well so i'm really happy to to answer questions and and so
2: hear from you
0: Brilliant. Yeah. thank you and your website's beautiful, very clear oh, and you. informative, yeah. and there's loads of interesting stuff there so yeah thank you well um that's been lovely. thanks so much for um for talking and musing with me about uh, my questions about tracking. And I've loved being re-inspired to think about tracking and and going more in-depth with it. And hopefully, at the end of uh, lockdown, we'll be able to gather again and uh, and arrange to come and join one of your courses or, uh, or something. Oh, got that. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
1: that'd be great. Yeah, thanks for the invitation
0: as well. It's been really good. Good Pleasure. To thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope it inspires you to follow your path of deep connection. I love sharing this information and I'll always share any relevant links in my show notes. If you like the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com forward slash connection matters podcast. This is where you'll find bonus episodes, giveaways and behind the scenes content from me, as well as having my huge heartfelt thanks for any support you can give me. It really helps with the viability of the show. You can get most of what will be on offer for as little as £3 a month. Please also don't forget to subscribe on whatever app you use by clicking that little subscribe button below. That way you'll get all the upcoming episodes straight into your device. And review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It's so helpful. The music that opens and closes the show is actually my very own dad and you can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash vision right.